trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. <laughs> Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is. Only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, <laughs> even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. Oh, by the way, do not attempt any of the stunts that we talk about here today. Obviously, I'm not telling you to do any of this. One of my favorite things to do is to climb a street lamp pole, the 40 footers, 35 footers, do it as a free climb, you know, to climb all the way up there and look down and hang by a couple arms or by one arm and just kind of feel what it's like to be so high up there. And it's very freeing and it's a little bit of terror, but I always say danger and risk are not equal. The more that you can increase your skill and competency, the lower the risk factor will be. But the danger is always going to be there. And that's what's fun. Hey, Matt LeBlanc here. I've known Sam for about 10 years. We watch each other mostly from Instagram, and I constantly think he's going to die. I've given it the term urban climbing. It's not as popular in the industry as a sport, but the idea behind urban climbing is to use architecture. Well, things that I gravitate towards to climb, jump, or handstand off of usually are things that are in elevated positions. I love climbing high. So just a couple months ago, I went to Thousand Steps out in El Paso, Texas, and it's a very, very vertical sort of climb. And then when I get to the top, the first thing I want to do is handstand. Of course, I found uh, an electrical wire that was running up to the top because they like to stick cell towers up there, right? So if there's a cell tower up on top of a mountain, you best believe there's wires bringing it power. And if I'm around, you best believe I'm hanging from those wires. So I got the chance to climb, you know, an electrical tower and hang on that. Another thing that I really like to, to climb on are things that are next to fall points. Okay, a fall point being like, you know, a base jumping or cliff jumping experience. It's fun to get right up to the edge, handstand up at that point and just see what it's like if you were to fall. And sometimes I can fall and, and I do fall and it's fun on purpose, you know, purposefully falling off of a precipice from a handstand is beautiful. It's a thrilling experience. It's not like I'm making a mistake. It's an intentional move. So living the impossible. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and I think I'm cutting the friends joke right now. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. You heard Sam living the impossible, urban climbing on the fringes of his own delusion. Today I find him in his barracks. 
He's not in the military, but he seems to have created some sort of personal barrack for himself in his studio apartment. Even from the video call, I can tell it's a cozy 10 foot by 20 foot room. Very neat, everything has its place. Motorcycle gear on the rack by the door, which is also next to the bed, and the dresser, and the window, and the religious shrine behind him. A very particular earth monster lives here. Sam's dressed down today, he's wearing a trucker's hat, and as he settles down in front of the computer, he sips from a mug with an American flag on it. I've got my skydive certificate right here, you know, skydiving from 18,000, just hanging out right there, highest jump I've done. So it's about putting those pieces in that I need to define myself, you know? I can't go through my whole life as an artist not creating anything, or I can't go through my whole life as a thrill seeker not doing anything. Sorry about the rough sound today, it's not important. Sam's voice rises above it, and that right there was pretty much the most distorted part. I met Sam catering a long time ago, and he has always got a story to tell. I was going through my heavy stack of different types of business cards, and I came across that one from the business Select Staff, the staffing company. One of Sam's many side hustles over the years. He's flipping through a stack of old delusions, lucrative delusions that have supported him financially for the last 10 years. He always has a business card. And then, of course, you know, a solid black back so you can slip it to anyone real quiet and hidden. So calculated, dude. Someone it's, has to. It's actually, it's such a great jumping off point for you. You are detail-oriented. You're strategic as well, which doesn't mean that you're not reckless, right? You're such a character, truly. But how did this character come to be? Where did Sam's necessary delusion start? As I'm learning, it usually begins to take shape around 11 years old. So let's see, 11 or 12, I was homeschooled at this time, okay? So we're talking about a social paradigm where you've got a strong mother and father figure supporting you know, your education from home and being a smart student, but tons of energy. So in this necessary delusion back then, I think I was definitely playing the invincible card. Nothing could go wrong, you know? Uh, mommy and daddy got me. And school was something I had to do, but it's not very important. You know, that, that, would, that would change as I got into high school. Education was easy. It was something I did for hours every day. My mom made me do it. I completed it. I did it well. It didn't seem purposeful. You're one of five. One of five. Sam has two brothers and two sisters. I've always known this, but I've never met any of them. And it's a surprise because his personality is so big and distinct. It makes you wonder what the rest of the family's like. How much do you think that like this like thrill seeker or the invincible delusion, does any of that come from looking to stand out from the pack, looking to get attention? We all do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think oh, I'm trying to see what percentage. It's 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 80, 90, or 100 percent of it was that. <laughs> no, you hit it right on the head. We always make a joke that in a family of five kids, the reason we all eat fast is because if you don't, you don't get enough. But that's not true. My parents always had plenty of food on the table. But when it does come to attention, being the second born, you'd think that I'd have enough attention. My older brother has definitely suffered having me as a second born. You know, he definitely went through emotional uh, progress, if you will, getting over the fact that I was going to be energetic, outgoing and, and an attention grabber. I think he told my mother at a young age, this is kind of funny, uh, can we just take him back now? You know, when I was like maybe a year or two, can we take him back to the hospital and change him out for another one? He didn't understand how birthing works. In a house of five kids, everyone finds their place. I mean, I think when you look at your siblings, 
a lot of us can kind of say, this is the church one. This is the smart one. And so in all areas, we all tried to find our niche. We all tried to find what we were. My older brother, when he realized I was going to be taking all the attention, he, he was the safeguard. He just realized, look, if he's reckless and wild, I'm going to be safe. And therefore, I'm going to earn my credit as being the oldest, the safe, the secure, the obedient. You know, of course, me, I wanted to test every limit. So you knew I was going to break rules. I was going to try the limits and I was going to get punished a lot. You know, I got spanked so much. I apologized to all the girlfriends. I'm like, yeah, my parents believed in spanking back then. So that's why I've got no butt. I literally would have weekly spankings. It was like a habitual ritual. <laughs> but I was a young kid back then. And uh, my younger brother, he was the calculated one. So he, in response to seeing a safe player and a reckless one, he became the calculator. And um, it served him very well. You know, he went on to marry the girl who had a Range Rover in high school. I mean, when you're 16 driving a Range Rover, that that says money. And he he sniffed that out and he wooed her. And now he works for her father's company. And uh, I'm very proud of him. But he's got a couple houses, a couple dogs. And, um, you know, money is the name of the game for him. Then my two younger sisters kind of fell into a very simplistic mold, if you will. Both of them were very pious and devout. They had seen sort of like the, the wildness of the older brothers. And so they both became nurses, RNs, and they uh, both are serious churchgoers and they are both married. You know, as of last night or night before last, this last Sunday, my sister, 22 years old, just got married and so proud of her what are your parents like i mean it seems like there must be a, a wild streak somewhere or maybe you saw it somewhere hmm. definitely not in my parents my father is a rocket scientist and he has a contract right now with the united states government he um, has top secret clearance and he reports to our air force the military he does a lot of gps encoding full stack can't tell you too much more. You know, that's about all I can say. But um, he's he's a computer guy. He sits down and he does math in his mind, but he's always right. And so perhaps that aptitude to be accurate came from my father. There's no doubt in my mind that's where that came from. Sam once posted a video on Instagram. He and his dad and some other friends were having dinner at Applebee's or maybe it was Red Robin. Anyway, they were sitting in a booth and Sam got up on top of the booth and did a handstand holding on to the top of the seats in the middle of the crowded restaurant. His legs were up in the air and he was kind of gyrating them around as people were navigating trays of food around him. From what I can remember, his dad looked the other way and acted like it wasn't happening. I think I watched that video like 10 times. <laughs> oh, Earth Monster. My mother's the other side though, and she doesn't care about things being accurate. She's 50 shades of gray, you know, paint with the colors of the rainbow. Her energy is unrivaled. Like the woman is moving, doing things. You don't see her relax. She doesn't want to. I just basically think I got my dad's mind and my mom's energy, and that is a recipe for great and terrible things. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, what's the first memory that you have of doing something thrill-seeking? Uh, something comes right to mind. When we used to go, because we're homeschooled, when we used to go to the park to, to play, to get a chance to get out and go wild, I loved the playground. I'd always climb to the highest thing, go down the uh, slide. You know, it's usually a slide. And it was very early on, I have to say, maybe six or seven. I, I started realizing, hey, you know, the playground is not just limited to what they're telling us to do. You can climb the rope, you can do the teeter-totter, you can go down the slide. But I was like, there's more to this. I can hang upside down on the little bridge. 
bridge. I can climb outside the rails. I can get up there and even drop down from there. And then I took it to the limit by climbing on top of the roof of the slide. And I remember at this young age, maybe seven years old, when I got to the playground, I would quickly envision the most difficult high point and I would try to get there. So sometimes even thinking of climbing the poles that hold the tarps over the sand or over the, the woodchucks, like, how can I get up on the tarp? You know, I just want to be up there. I just want to be up there. And my mother used to get really upset and, and terrified. Why is he just desiring to be in dangerous positions? And I had no understanding of how a fall at that height would cause damage. But, you know, it was fun to try. <laughs> I was trying to just do it. <laughs> but these behaviors don't come along unmotivated. They always come along with a story. I've always said this. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of depths. You know, deep, deep water scares me. I, I think one of the reasons why I like to be high and I, I love heights. I mean, one, this sounds cheesy, but I like to be closer to God. Delusion! Sam, I mean that respectfully. This is his necessary delusion. There's always an element of me that wants to be an angel, if you will. What is an angel? It's a servant. It's a messenger person who is divine and in service. These were some of the first big ideas that he had about his own identity. Be a servant, be a messenger, be a person who is divine and in service. I've always had this desire to be an angel. So how can I serve? How can I give and uh, be a symbol of light? His story was clear, but it's the interpretation that can get murky sometimes. But there was another reason that he wanted to climb up to the highest points. And also because I realized I'm capable of going there and other people aren't. This is a restricted area, not for me, but for you, you know, the, the general you. And from that mentality, I felt uniqueness. I knew from a young age that I was different. People didn't really want to hang out with the overly energetic kid or the super talkative kid. Or I mean, I got in trouble at church, school, work. So I have this long history of what happens when, you know, take my dad's brain and my mom's energy, put them together, not blaming them, thanking them. You get this backlash. A lot of people are like, I don't want to deal with somebody who's so extra. But I had to sit with that for a bit. And I realized, you know what? I'm not really an outgoing extrovert. I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert. I like to have my alone time. And one of the places I can do that is high places. And that's why I like rock climbing, mountain climbing, skydiving, you know, you name it. So as he grew up, he wrote his story. This was what you get when you combined his father's brain and his mother's energy. An overly energetic divine messenger who never shuts up and climbs to dangerous high points to feel his uniqueness. But don't forget, always in service. After being homeschooled throughout his early childhood, he entered his first formal classroom in high school. Once I became a student in the classroom and I saw the other students struggling and stuff, it was the first time that eye-opening happened that I realized, oh my God, other people aren't as smart as me. Like, and forgive me, some people are challenged in the education area. I'm not, but they really just don't get it, you know? And I was, I was baffled. I could not understand how people had different intellect. And I know it sounds so stupid, but um, at that time I realized that, you know, English, math, and arithmetic, um, sorry, English, <laughs> arithmetic is math. English, math, writing, these things are difficult for different people. And I started to understand that brains don't all work the same. Most of us remember going to school in the United States. And when a teacher asks a question, there's that awkward sort of moment of, should I raise my hand or not going through everyone's head and many of the yeah. kids just yeah. don't because it's not cool you know it's just not cool my hand every time if i knew the answer i was saying it Oof, me too and um i remember distinctly having a conversation with my father why does nobody else want to participate in life in classrooms you know 
And my father said, well, you know, some people are scared, okay? Some people are afraid of being wrong. They ask a question, they look stupid, or they, they don't understand the question, and so they come off weird. You know, that's one fear. And he said, other people just don't care. They don't care for things. And I realized in my personality, I don't have fear and I always care. So because of those two reasons my father gave me, I said, well, that makes sense. I'm never afraid of being wrong. It's just an opportunity for me to grow. And I care about everything, whether it's the job being done right, uh, surviving some extreme activity, or, you know, and this is where the dichotomy comes in. This is where it gets difficult. Or my peers that I'm working with. You're 30 now. I think you and I met when you were 19 catering for big commercial catering companies in Los Angeles. And you were a special kind of monster, I would say. <laughs> you were like equal parts like wild man. You're almost like equally parts in control and out of control. Hmm. Am I right? Fair. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. I, I realized that in the world of thrills and thrill seeking, if you're uncalculated, you make mistakes, it could cost you a lot. And so that sort of meticulous, militant attention to detail is very necessary. Militant is a good word to describe Sam, a militant thrill seeker. And that was who Sam was when I met him working at a corporate catering company in Los Angeles. Sam always seemed to be on the big jobs with the teams of 40 handsome dudes dressed up in white button-down shirts and black ties. We would all walk around looking at each other like, you know the first rule of Fight Club. We didn't talk about it because there was no Fight Club, even though we looked at each other like there was. Get it? It was just a little delusion to help us get through the shift. Anyway, Sam could have kicked a bunch of our asses because Sam is completely ripped. He's a big dude. Handsome, too. In fact, if I didn't know him and you told me that he was going to be in the new Fast and Furious movie, I would believe you. He's a chatty guy. He smiles a lot. But, despite it all, generally speaking, I would say, the other guys didn't like Sam. I say these things from a loving place because you know that I have love for you. When I met you at 19, I think that people around you would have described you as a show-off, right? You're a very hard worker in the catering business where there are a lot of sort of disgruntled actors and stuff like that. A hard worker is an obnoxious character at the job, right? <laughs> no one wants to work their hardest. Everyone wants to work the bare minimum. And you would show up with superhero muscles with an extra shirt just in case anyone needed one, right? This is true. You'd go up to the captain to find out not what job we needed to be doing now, but what's cleanup going to be like in six hours because I want to get ahead of it. You were asking for responsibilities that weren't even yours, right? Yeah. And frankly, I do think it turned people off, mm -hmm. even though you did this from a very sincere place. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. And I don't think you cared that you turned people off. That's correct. You liked the role that you played. I like being different. Yeah. In this world, everyone wants to kind of follow the norms and fit in. I read a quote recently that said, there will come a time where all society will be so crazy that if you act normal, they will say, you are crazy for you are not like us. I think this might be Dostoevsky. But in that regard, I've always looked at things from a functional perspective. A functional perspective. If we're going to do it, do it well. You can't really argue with that either, can you? If you're going to do it, do it well. That was definitely never my attitude as a caterer. I consider myself a very hard worker, but catering would be the exception. God, am I a careless caterer. But not Sam. If Sam was going to cater, he was going to cater well. And by any means necessary. Why are we here? What are we doing? 
let's maximize the productivity, the efficiency here, you know? And so when I saw other people behaving differently, as you said, actors who are focused on a career, but doing a catering job as a way to make their bills until the next big role. Don't forget, this was me. This individual showing up at the job had a different come from. This is beneath me. I don't really want to be doing this. Why would I ever work hard? And I'm supposed to be important and like on a screen. I asked myself this simple question at a young age. What good does it do me? Like what benefit? How much more do I gain acting like that? Acting like he had better things to do. That's how I acted. Do I gain anything? And what I realized was, you know, in my mind, and perhaps this is warped, but I doubt it, that behaving in that way, it makes people look at you as stuck up, maybe a little bit uh, selfish. Yeah, I've been that guy. Not as helpful or useful. Uh, the last person you'd want to promote. Guilty. Okay, I got it. Guilty. Not capable of holding more responsibility. I didn't want any more responsibility. And uh, quite frankly, not going to get as many catering jobs as Sam, <laughs> you know? Him, Sam, he is Sam. So I used it to my benefit because I wanted to make money like they did, but I was more successful at that than they were. Than I was. I got way more jobs. I was put in higher positions. I was paid more. And I was branched off into numerous other companies who wanted my skill set of do your best every time. And so I had the biggest disconnect because I thought I was being necessarily delusional. I was trying to do the job right, but why does everyone hate me? My peers hate me, you know? <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting that word out there, the H word. I was like, they literally disdain me because what? Because I'm doing a good job? Because if Sam worked harder, it was eventually going to mean that the rest of us were gonna have to work harder. And that went against the entire reason that we were there. Of course, they're gonna see me as being a show-off, a know-it-all, an overachiever. But this is no different than when I was in school. So I, I realized that from my superiors, this mentality, this way of being was super valuable. They loved it. They, they ate it up. Delusion! Some of them loved it. A lot of bosses really gravitate towards a super passionate employee that lives by a strong code to work hard. And some of them were like, Sam is driving me crazy. Because he was a lot. <laughs> and some of the managers were not there to work that hard. We were just trying to burn out a quick six hours on a Friday night, 200-person cocktail party at a museum or a bank or a boat. It was simple. You show up, you stand where they tell you to, and you try your best to live out your fantasies through shallow conversations with your self-involved coworkers. You eat the food off the trays whenever you get a chance. You make a little cash. It can be very easy if you let it be. We didn't even need to talk about it. In fact, that kind of environment can actually be chill enough to let you act like the worst version of yourself. I personally got high on edibles three years in a row while bartending the Emmys and forced myself into a Congo line with Stephen Colbert and his wife. True story. Just the three of us. That actually might have been the best version of myself now that I'm thinking about it. I just wanted to share the story. But Sam, Sam liked to try his best every time. It said a lot to my immaturity of understanding how the candle that shines the brightest makes all the other candles dimmer. And I had to learn those concepts. It's um, probably there was a lot of ego involved and I wanted to show everyone I was the best, too. There it is. And uh, that that kind of really backfired, I think, in many areas of my life. I always liked Sam. I mean, there were certainly times when I rolled my eyes at him, but I could never hate him for it because if you really paid attention, you could see his sincerity. 
I also tend to gravitate towards big, reckless personalities with strong moral codes. They usually have the best stories. Do your best is uh, my advice, but do it humbly. Do it secretly. It's not always about being the show. Sam and I lost touch after catering. On to different jobs, different lives, different delusions. Sam created his stack of business cards and all of the actual businesses that attach to them. I watched from afar through social media. Lots of workout videos, shirtless selfies. He did a handstand on the railings going down a moving escalator in the middle of a crowded mall. I mean, if he had fallen, he would have face-planted into the metal step below him. But he didn't. He climbs street lamps and hangs from one hand 40 feet up while cars pass below him. He speaks to the camera while he drives in his convertible. He says, black motorcycle, white car, man bun. This is life. He's joking. <laughs> I mean, he's not joking, but he's joking. It's sort of the way he approaches his whole life, taking things seriously, but with levity. Talk to me about the ego that gets you to climb some of these things. When I think about how much does my ego come into play with doing these outrageous stunts, one of the things I have to preface with is that I have an interesting relationship with ego. <laughs> we all do, Earth Monster. The ego is the source of all the delusions. So in my walk of life, you know, I claim that I'm a Christian. Bad example of one, but claim that I'm a Christian. So there's this whole death to the ego concept, right? So at times in my life, you'll see me resisting the ego and saying, you know, yeah. oh, that's so wrong that I would do anything for myself. Like, why would I be self-serving and selfish? I should be giving, you know, and kind and like benevolent. It's the two dueling sides of his personality. Balance is a skill Sam has only mastered in handstands. About six months ago, he found himself on a path that felt familiar. Living fast and loose, hanging out too much, drinking with friends. It wasn't what he wanted. Or maybe it wasn't what he thought he should have. I feel like it was time to change. You know, when you get older, you have that question. Am I going to dial it in and become something great? Or am I going to just keep flying my freak flag and be whatever I end up being? Because I'm a highly analytical, calculated person, I had to say to myself, it's time to calculate this. And so I needed some time for me and just to create that future and to go towards it. I wasn't super happy with the career path that I was on. But the idea was that I didn't like who I was, where I was at. I mean, the money was okay. I was living in LA, had a girlfriend, but I just didn't like any of it. All of it was off the track from what I, I thought my family wanted me to be, what I thought I wanted to be. And I saw that the trajectory was not leading me to the man I wanted to be. My sister, one of them had a baby. And so as this new first grandchild of my parents was coming into the world, I thought to myself, do I want her to have a socialite partier uncle? in the form of me? Do I want to be that influence on her or something different? And then with concepts of angels, you know, coming back into my head, I was like, I can't be as such. So it was a strong cold turkey switch because I didn't like the trajectory. We've all stood at a crossroads like this, wanting to rearrange the picture that we've created. But subtlety is an art that not many of us master. So I tightened up my diet and I chose to go vegan. That's the removal of all meat, all dairy. I even was staying clear of wine and oil in the cooking process, just making it a very clean sort of intake. Just a good habitual cleanliness delusion to make him taste the big change coming. The big change in his personality, that is. I removed alcohol, you know, I had not really much drug usage, but no marijuana, no drugs. I took out any sort of, uh, you know, uh, provocative stuff. I got all the sex out of my life. I was on a vow, I started a vow of chastity and I'm still on that vow of chastity. Let's be clear on this. 
but I removed everything else too. So like, let's add on the pornography and masturbation. It was like everything stopped. And then in addition to that, uh, I took up a pretty serious prayer practice, a daily prayer practice that was about an hour and it's still going on today. And um, I guess you could kind of say meditations in there too, like prayer and meditation. They're one and the same. It's just how you apply it. And then spiritual reading, getting into not just the Bible and the word of God, but also many other authors who, break things down in a more philosophical way who are more, you know, spiritual literature. And so with these practices, then I also started to go to church regularly, stop going to bars in general, wouldn't be found dead in a side of a club or anywhere else. No more, you know, never not touching gambling. It was just clean, clean slate, just good, clean all the way through and through. Complete life makeover. He exterminated Sam from his life. Did that feel like, is that who you're supposed to be? Absolutely. And the way I say that with such confidence is because I knew the things I was doing prior were not working. The relationship was not going well. The friend group, the friend circle that I was developing and growing with, I kind of realized I'm hanging out with, you know, forgive it, but uh, people who are not going anywhere. And I don't want to become like that. So I wanted to change my friends, change my girlfriend, change my environment. And I was like, I have to step it up. And we all have fear in this moment. Because many of us are faced with that wall, like I'm not where I want to be, especially when you hit landmarks like 25, 30, you know, God forbid you get to 40 and you're starting to have this conversation. And then you think, what do I do? And fear is the biggest enemy in all of this. It's like, I can't just break up with my girlfriend. Like who's going to make my food? You know, who's going to like, I was living with her. Who's going to like, uh, you know, who's going to who's gonna take care of me? You know, who's going to, you know, scratch my back as I scratch theirs. So you're like in this weird paradigm of complacency with the relationship you've developed with said person. And, and same thing with this group of friends. Well, who am I going to get beers with? And what I realized was the answer to all those questions is I don't need anyone else. I don't. Everybody needs somebody sometimes. That's a universal truth, right? And once I'm capable of doing all those things for myself, I could scratch my own back, make my own food, do my own laundry, make my own bed. You know, I don't really need to get beers anyways. I don't need to go out and do X, Y, and Z movies, nights. I don't need the entertainment. And I shifted all that and I put it onto a focus towards creating the man I get to be for the future. Can you hear his fantasy drop in? The man I get to be for the future. I realized that in this place, I'm much stronger. I'm much more useful. And then in the fewer instances where people reach out and say, hey, I need you for something, I have more to offer because not only have I broadened what I'm capable of holding on my plate, but there's, you know, more space on this plate for the things other people need to give me that I can handle for them. So, yeah, it felt authentic because for once I was feeling like I broke through the fear barrier that was keeping me shackled to these people that I really didn't want in my life. I didn't realize that. I just didn't want them in my life, but they were comfortable. They were so comfortable. And so to get out of that and to break through the fear was the hugest success. It was like uh, so liberating. I must have been high for two weeks just on that feeling of I blocked everyone and cut off all the relationships. Now, granted, I had a conversation with everyone. Hey, I'm changing my life. Um, I'm going to go silent for a while. Hope that uh, you're good and everything. Like, I wish you all the best. But um, just, just for all intents and purposes, bye. And uh that, that's how I went about it. And to answer your question on ego, I felt a piece of my ego so deadened because of the, you know, the ignoring the ego, the sticking to Christian beliefs, the being a good guy and not doing the things that I want to do, but always serving others. That had become such a part of my life for six months as I was going through this period of transition that 
I, I didn't want to have a motorcycle because that would go counterintuitively to, you know, the safe person I'm trying to be, the, the good person I'm trying to be, the clean cut, disciplined, organized, well put together man that I am now creating. Preach. But then a piece of my identity, if you will, ego, not in the sense of I'm better than everyone, but in the sense of, you know, this is my identity kind of started to cry out. And the way it manifested, this is kind of funny, but the way it manifested was I was irritable and unfulfilled. I felt like a piece of me was missing and I didn't know what that was for a while. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this, you probably have gone through periods of trying things, whether it's a vegan diet, a new workout routine, you know, cutting something out of your life for a certain period of time. And you're just kind of like, well, what's going on? I feel these withdrawals, this emptiness. So what I started to realize was it was because I cut everything thrill seeking out of my life. He had overcorrected. The solution was not to exterminate everything that is Sam from his life. That's who he is. I went and stayed a few months with my parents. I went on the road and I traveled and saw there's a there's a monastery out in the desert I spent some time with it's like a Christian monastery that just kind of like do the Jesus thing for a while. And um, in solitude, lots of learning, I, I just started seeing what I wanted to learn, what I wanted to put into my foundation. There's this sort of wild man who just wants to like hang off of shit, right? And then you said something to me yesterday, which was you always thought that you would be married by now. He always thought he'd be married by now. You come from a really traditional house, I think, really traditional family structure, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, you've got a religious sort of setup behind you and you're drinking from an American flag mug. There's real conservative stay in the lines kind of guy there. Mm -hmm. And I would say since I've known you, I have seen you act like a wild man and aspire to be a family man. It occurs to me for how long I lived that premise myself. Act like a wild man, aspire to be a family man. Always wondering if I was going to be able to achieve my goal. Because balance is the toughest part, and you have to calculate your risk. Maybe the friend group wasn't a good influence. Maybe he didn't need to be drinking and hanging out so much. Those were compromises Sam was able to make. But climbing to the highest precipice to feel unique and important and angelic and alive... That's just who Sam is. I got some advice and got some counsel on this. And I was told, you can't change who you are. You know, don't don't change who you are in the pursuit of perfecting yourself. Yeah. But find out who you are and use that to augment and define, you know, who you're becoming, who you're perfecting. So that that resonated big with me. And, you know, it, it manifested in buying a motorcycle because I was like, I need my daily dose of adrenaline. Two months ago, I bought this new speed bike. It's a Honda CBR 1100. So for those of us who are not familiar with bikes, the 1100 class, you know, anything in the thousands, those bikes are going to top 150 miles per hour easily. They're very fast. And the CBR, you can look it up. It's a Honda flagship, but very popular, very fast bike. He's finding his own balance because I would assume a certain amount of ego is healthy and necessary to our survival. You got the craziest abs and arms and chest and back you, you got a crazy superhero body these are not casual muscles right uh thank you that's very kind <laughs> uh you're being so ridiculous not wanting to talk about your muscles i see what you post on instagram 
you ridiculous delusional earth monster <laughs> you are so into the muscles they are show-off muscles mm -hmm. you have the kind of muscles that if you walk down the street with your shirt off people would be like can I, can I just get a quick shot of that actually <laughs> i need to show my boyfriend what a back is supposed to look like fair um, obviously i feel comfortable giving sam a hard time what was your greatest fail in pursuit of Mm. being a show-off, being angel-like, climbing something high in this vein. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, to, to answer the question, I would define failure. Most people would probably say failure is like, what's your greatest injury? How did you hurt yourself the most trying to climb something? To, to that effect, real quickly, I had a snowboarding accident, which was pretty wild. I just busted a 360, did it wrong off of a rail, and uh, it was pretty sad, but separated my shoulder, and that was painful. And so I had to rehab for three, six months, and it's all good now. I can handstand push up still, but wow, what a trauma to see my shoulder just hanging kind of limp, you know, and like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and then the, the other angle would be, you know, how you don't succeed at being what you think that you are you know how you don't succeed at being a good climber how you don't succeed at being angelic in any representation how you don't succeed at being worthy of the attention you know yes right so in that regard there's a dichotomy so if the goal is getting attention which i like that you brought that up because admittedly all of us to some regard want to be seen recognized and appreciated for what we are it just so happens that in my walk it manifests through like you said like show-offy kind of like stunts so for myself the, the biggest failure in this regard because i mean there's a lot of success you know what i mean there's a lot of success let's start with that when you do things that other people just can't do and you get those turned heads, there's a visceral feeling. It's like when you take the stage as a musician and you play your piece or a singer and you you belt it into the microphone. And then there's a response that is so tangible and you get it. So how, how do you find a failure in that world of quick, responsive positivity? And as I'm thinking about it, it seems like the greatest failures happen not because of the audience, but rather they happen in front of myself. And um, they come from those little stories that I'm constantly telling myself that you're not good enough because you didn't train enough. You know, I cringed a little bit when you said your muscles are show off muscles. Are they functional muscles comes into your head? You know, like, are you actually using them for anything other than the pictures? And uh, then there's that other element of, is your diet good enough? Are you really honing it in? Do you deserve to keep this skill set in this body? Are you enough? Do you deserve any of the greatness that you have? So, and I was, I'm hitting 30, welcome to 30, right? 30 club. It even gets more magnified because you see that your body isn't going to hold up as it always did. And there's a sobering sort of perspective. So the greatest failure in the pursuit of attention for being a, a stuntman adrenaline junkie is understanding that I won't have it forever. And if you don't use it, you'll lose it. We've heard these maxims before. You're not going to be young forever. You know, we have to educate ourselves and, and we have to develop from being the pupil to being the practitioner and then the master who teaches. And in that elevation or in that hierarchy, one of the things I've always told myself is that um, if what good does the beat up do? Great question. What good does the beat up do? You know, if I'm going to be great, if I'm going to be growing in any way and developing in any way, I can't keep beating myself up. I have to stop the mind and get back to doing. There's a little nugget of truth. Stop the mind and get back to doing. Sam is still making his way through his big transition. Still celibate, but riding his new motorcycle. Eating healthy, but handstanding down escalators at the mall. 
making selfie videos on the way to the gym in his convertible, but then retiring back to his civilian barracks, the 10-foot by 20-foot room, the perfect vantage point for him to pull back, get a little perspective, and strategize his next move. I feel now more like myself than ever before. So right now I'm in the process of considering a new trajectory. I'm thinking of getting a master's in psychology because I want to learn more about the, the human mind. If you're going to invite anyone into your home and you realize that maybe one of those four pillars of your home happens to be your parents, it's not really a safe place to move anyone into, especially a family. You can rely on other people for things. I'm not saying that. You can't be the person who needs someone every time. You can't be the person who always is relying on people for finances. You gotta figure out for yourself how you're gonna be self-sufficient before inviting someone into it. And at the end of the day, if you're better at doing the hard things, you're gonna be stronger than those who can't. And that's my goal, was to reestablish myself in a way where I was no longer dependent upon a financial living situation with the girlfriend, and I was no longer relying on other people in my friend circle to feel good about myself. And I think to the effect of those two areas where I was most weak, I've now gained so much more strength. And unfortunately, I'm doing it at 30, but fortunately, I'm doing it at 30. I want to thank Sam for his story today and for getting me through so many god-awful catering shifts with his compelling stories. Sam, thank you for your boldness and transparency and enthusiasm to come play with a new idea. This is a big, warm welcome to come back and share your delusions anytime you want. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, you can write us a review on Apple iTunes. That's the Purple Podcast app. It's super easy to do. Or you can show us some love on Venmo. Send 143 to at your necessary delusion. If you know what that means, you know what it means. And if you want to join the conversation yourself, leave feedback on a story, or set up a time to tell your own story, you can call our voicemail at 323 323- Five four zero four five four zero, or email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com. If I sounded a little hoarse today, it's because I might have COVID. Do not forget to come back next week for more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until then. So-